Turning to Luke chapter 1 this morning, or this afternoon, the gospel according to Luke. As you know, that he has a sequel in the book of Acts. And both are addressed to an individual that we don't know. His name is Theophilus. This is running out of energy. Theophilus is a wonderful name, isn't it? I've never heard anyone uh, privilege their son by this name. A friend of God or a lover of God. Philophius. He may have been one that was unsaved and yet uh, financed Luke's endeavor to write the gospel. So you say, it's Theophilus. I, I reversed it. It's the same meaning. But Theophilus, or Philophius, I think, is also found in the New Testament. Or he may have been a believer that just was really excited that someone was taking up this endeavor. As Luke tells us that he... Uh, was endeavoring to to uh, follow the history of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ or the Christ of the gospel and that he might know the certainty of those things that had been instructed the word catechized is found there in verse 4 and uh, we have looked at the angel Gabriel visiting Zacharias you remember uh, and notifying him that in their old age, he and, and Elizabeth would have a son, and he would be the forerunner of the Messiah, as prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40. And uh, it's very possible that this was Zacharias' first and only opportunity to minister as he did in the temple in Jerusalem, and uh, what providence, if that is indeed the case, that the one only opportunity, whether in his lifetime or just once a year, that the Lord would visit him there in the holy place beside the altar of incense. And uh, as you know, he was unbelieving and he was struck with dumbness and possibly also with the inability to hear because it's interesting how they asked for a, a, a tablet for him to write the name John. All they had to do was speak to him and he could have heard it and uh, not needed to, uh, to uh, be uh, given a tablet. But in any case, the same angel, Gabriel, as we looked at last week, appears to Mary, a young maiden who was unmarried but who was uh, betrothed which was a stronger uh, connection than what we know today as someone who is engaged because to end a betrothal was the same as divorce. Joseph was to put Mary away, the same language of divorce. And people wonder, why was Mary not struck with uh, dumbness? Because she seems to question the ability to be able to bear a child, but 
Uh, how do we know that hers was not as unbelieving as Zacharias? Well, because she wasn't struck with dumbness. And so it was, a, it was a naive, it was a very simple desire to know how that a virgin could bear a child. And it was the work of the Lord. And so you remember that then Gabriel said that her, her relative, Elizabeth, was expecting in her old age. So you have the, the bookends. You have a, someone too old to bear a child and someone uh, unable, uh, humanly speaking, to bear a child being a virgin and the Lord doing both miraculously. So we're assuming here that, that immediately Mary uh, was expecting, uh, conceived of the Lord Jesus Christ as the angel departed, uh, that the Lord did that miracle. And then we find that Mary then uh, visits Elizabeth for three months. And we, we pick up with the, uh, the section in Luke chapter 1 called... Uh, usually the Magnificat, which is Latin for magnification or the Lord being magnified in Mary's song, verses 46 to 56 in Luke chapter 1. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things and the rich he hath sent away, he hath sent empty away. He hath hoped or helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary abode with her about three months, and returned to her own house. This is Christian Mary. Christian Mary's inspired song, or a song of Christian Mary. Yes, Mary was a Christian. She was not a goddess. She was not deified. She was a born-again Christian. And that's hard for the ears especially of Roman Catholics. Those of us who were raised in the Roman Catholic Church were taught that she was a deified individual, that she was a perpetual virgin, and that she was immaculately conceived. And we learn from the Bible that it's the Lord Jesus Christ who was immaculately conceived and immaculately born, and that he immaculately lived, and that he died for our sins, and not for his own. Jesus Christ is God. He is exalted above all. Mary worshiped Jesus, and Mary continues to do so. 
She would be a Protestant if she came to earth today. She would be protesting her uh, being set up in front of bathtubs and people uh, creating these altars to worship her. Mary's Greek name is actually Miriam, if you read the original. And like Miriam of old, whose very brief song we read together, Exodus 15, 20 to 21, like Miriam of old, she sings to the Lord because just like he triumphed gloriously and the horse and her and his rider was cast into the sea. So Mary or Miriam here in the New Testament sings to the Lord and acknowledges that he has triumphed gloriously over uh, those who, like the Egyptians, have kept us in bondage uh, all our lives. In Exodus 15, Miriam, uh, as it were, speaks of a promised Messiah who will uh, who has dashed the horse and his rider into the sea from their, as it were, from their high horses. In Luke 1, Miriam speaks of a now delivered Messiah who uh, triumphs over sin and triumphs over the mighty and casts down the mighty from their seats or literally thrones, speaking of the potentates and the despots of this world and of the God of this world, Satan himself. Mary had a few days to ponder what she had just heard from the angel Gabriel and what she had felt that was placed in her womb. We don't know exactly what town that Zacharias and Elizabeth were from. It may have been Hebron. Remember, Mary was traveling from the north, from Galilee, down into the hill country of Judea. And so I don't know if she was accompanied. Uh, I would assume that, that Joseph uh, would, want, would not want her to travel alone. But we're not told anything along those lines. But that would be our assumption. But she made it safely, and it may have taken a couple of days to get to the city where Elizabeth was there. Luke says in verse 39, Mary arose from Nazareth, that is, in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah. So she had some time to think of the Lord using her as a lowly servant to frustrate the proud, just like Miriam indicated and just like Hannah, we also read 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 to 10, the song or the psalm of, of Hannah. Mary's Magnificat, as, it, as, as it's called, is similar to Hannah's Magnificat in 1 Samuel 2. If you would compare these two passages, Hannah speaks of her heart rejoicing in the Lord and rejoicing in his salvation. Mary says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Hannah says, there's none holy as the Lord. Mary speaks of the fact that holy is God's name. And his name refers to his whole character, everything about him. 
Hannah speaks of the bows of the mighty being broken. Mary of the mighty put down from their thrones. Hannah speaks of the Lord making rich. Mary, the Lord filling the hungry. Hannah of making uh, the rich poor. Mary, the rich being sent away empty. And so I would not have a doubt if, if Mary or Miriam was meditating on other saints from the past who are especially blessed of the Lord and especially Hannah. Mary's thinking of Elizabeth as she's going to visit her and how similar parallel between Hannah and Elizabeth. But in Hannah's case, of course, she was barren, not so much old, where we have Elizabeth being both at this point now, old and barren. And so Mary was thinking, and it tells us how much she imbibed and absorbed the word of God from the Old Testament, which was their Bible, you remember. Let's not take the Old Testament from us. And so she was pondering these things. And remember, she's probably a mid-teenager, if that. How much have we imbibed who have the word of God? It's nice to listen, isn't it? Especially in the morning when you're tired and Sometimes I'll just listen to the Bible. My eyes just can't seem to focus these very well these days. And it's precious, isn't it, to just even when you're laying in bed, to just let go to sleep listening to God's word. But she was pondering in her heart what she had been listening. She was no doubt a frequent visitor to the synagogue in Nazareth that would persecute the Lord Jesus Christ in due time. Are we good listeners? readers of God's word? How much are we absorbing? Are we, uh, is the word of God saturating our souls and saturating our minds? Are we meditating on it day and night like the blessed man in Psalm 1? Here's a teenage saint. By now we believe she's been born of the spirit of God. Did she have Christian parents? Did she have Christian family, or were, uh, we, we know the genealogy of, of Mary from Matthew, right? And we know the genealogy of Joseph from Luke, which he will give us in just a couple chapters. Were these, uh, were these parents and grandparents, were they believers? But what a privilege if they were. But here is a woman, no doubt, born again, the Lord would not use an unholy vessel to, uh, to, to, uh, to place the, the human, the, the man, Christ Jesus. In. Just like holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Here's a holy woman of God who is blessed by the Holy Spirit with this conception of Jesus Christ. And because of that, it was an immaculate conception. Just a few thoughts from this passage. It's certainly well-worn over the years. Its, it's familiarity, I hope, does not breed contempt or presumption. And I trust that we'll recognize that God's word is fresh, no matter how, how many times we have read through it or read particular passages. But I speak from this passage 
I'm getting the gospel wonder, verses 46 to 49. A gospel witness in verse 50. A gospel warning in verses 51 through 53. And may I say, just to, to, to continue the, the alliteration, a gospel well-being in verses 54 and 55. The first few verses are personal praise magnification of the Lord. And so you have that, that um, designation of this song of Mary. My soul doth magnify the Lord. She magnifies the Lord for using a sinner saved by grace. You see a Hebrew parallelism here. She's a Hebrew. She's, she, she recognizes the parallelism of the Psalms and the poetical books. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So the parallelism, my soul and my spirit magnify and rejoice the Lord and God, my Savior, that he has come and, and, and uh, expressed his grace in using Mary. And she speaks of magnifying the Lord and rejoicing in God, my Savior, and it needs repeating over and over again. She was a sinner and she was saved by the Lord, by God. The Lord would be Jehovah in the Hebrew scriptures. Yes, he is Adonai, the sovereign one, but she speaks of the fact that in his covenant love that she included him in his salvation plan. And she calls him the God who has saved her. And you wonder indeed if she's, if she's thinking about Gabriel's expression that the one that is in her womb is the Son of God. And she is acknowledging that the Messiah that she's going to bear is the Savior of sinners. So she magnifies the Lord for using a sinner saved by grace. She magnifies the Lord for using an anonymous lowly saint, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaid. See the humility of Mary. She knows that she's a nobody as far as, 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 as the world is concerned. She acknowledges her lowest state, that she's a, a servant, a handmaid. She realizes that she is what she is by the grace of God, that she deserved his wrath. And that God is like that. He likes to use those that are the nobodies and the anonymous ones in this world. She magnifies the Lord for the unique privilege and legacy of being the mother of the Messiah. For behold, all generations from henceforth shall call me blessed. Oh, she's not boasting in herself. She recognizes the privilege isn't the, wasn't the desire of women to bear the Messiah, to be the only one for all eternity to have been, yea, the mother of my Lord, as Elizabeth would speak. She wasn't the mother of God's nature, but it is, it is accurate to say she was the mother of God because she is, Jesus is God. But we better be careful she wasn't a goddess. She wasn't deified. She was a sinner saved by grace. It's Jesus who is God. It is Jesus who's the Lord. 
And she, we don't understand that she was the mother of the man, Jesus. But Jesus was God. She recognized the fact that, that from all, all generations shall call me blessed. She understood that, that, she would, that she was given a beatitude. Blessed is the womb that bare thee. That woman was not wrong that cried out later, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the packs that gave thee suck. It's just that she, that, that, that she underestimated who she was talking to. Blessed is the womb. Blessed is the fruit of the womb of the one that was being exalted there in that scene. What all of us one day are going to say, there's Mary. Won't it be a blessing to meet Mary and say, how much God used you. What a blessing to be able to say that the Messiah came through me. Of all the women in the world, God used, and this is like the Lord, isn't it? A lowly, humble, anonymous, as it were, to, to the world. The name was common. And the name wasn't some glamorous name with a glamorous definition. Her name means bitter. How bitter we are without Christ. She was a chosen vessel. And in that sense, we can all claim to the beatitude of being chosen by the Lord. Blessed are the chosen, for theirs indeed is the kingdom of God. A gospel wonder, personal praise from Mary for the miracle of the virgin conception and eventual the virgin birth. Verse 49, for he, hath, for he that is mighty hath done to me great things and holy is his name. He was, he's a great God of wonders. He's mighty, he's powerful, he's great in his name and his works. All about him is holy. Holy characteristics, holy titles, holy works, holy words. His whole person is holy. There's none holy as the Lord, as Hannah would say, as Hannah said earlier. The gospel, a gospel wonder is expressed in this song of Mary. Verse 50, a gospel witness, she turns now to all of us in chapter 1 and verse 50. She goes from personal praise to public acclamation. And his mercy is on them, all of them, as it were, that fear him from generation to generation. You see, now she's, she gives a gospel witness as if she anticipates that this is going to be a public, this is going to go public. This is going to be used of the Lord from generation to generation. That's the, the word mercy is no doubt the word chesed in the Old Testament, covenant love, covenant mercy. Saving mercy. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. We're to fear God and keep his commandments. You see, fear is a necessary ingredient in the soul that is converted to Christ. As she says that his mercy is on all them that fear him from generation to generation. May I say 
that if a person does not fear God, no matter what he professes, he is not a born-again believer. How often in our day you hear people say, I don't fear God, I love him, as if they are mutually exclusive. Those who know the Lord fear and love him. They're mutually inclusive. Oh, that we would have more fear. What does the Bible say is the whole conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And the Lord speaks of those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. All saints are blessed who fear God, who are recipients of God's covenant mercy. And notice that the church is generational. From generation to generation, God is continuing by his mercy, by his electing grace to call sinners to himself, just like Mary. Thirdly, a gospel warning, verses 51 through 53. Verse 51, God in his strength scatters the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Remember Hannah said, talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We are to humble our pride. God hates pride. He hates, we ought to hate pride first in ourselves. It is pride that caused the fall of Lucifer and his angels. Verse 52, he puts down the mighty from their thrones, literally, from their seats, authorized version. It's the same word for thrones. Pharaoh, like Miriam said, the Canaanite kings, Sennacherib, Nebuchadnezzar, all who rise up in pride against the Lord and his people shall expect to be demoted, thrust down. But God exalts those of low degree to the horror of potentates who oppress them, is the idea. Verse 53, the rich he is sent away empty, but the hungry fills with good things. We are to be rich toward God. What is, was it Spurgeon that said, a, a lost rich person is a poor man with money. How true is that? But blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. A gospel warning to us, we're to humble our pride and repent of our sins if we're to be saved. It is the humble that God exalts. And when he saves a sinner, he humbles our pride. Verses 54 to 55, a gospel well-being. She explains why God helped his servant Israel and why he helps us. Why does God continue to surround us with his grace and protect us from evil and safely take us to heaven. It's because he remembers his mercy. The idea is that he helped us and the cause is, the, re the reason is because he remembered his mercy. He doesn't forget his promises. He doesn't forget his own. God knows those that are his. He lays, lays hold upon us, supports us, is the word hope, and he aids us. That's why he comes to our aid. 
We plead with the Lord when we are oppressed, when we are persecuted, when we fall because of our sins. Oh God, remember your promise. Remember your covenant. Remember that you have a people you've saved. Remember that we're yours, Lord. We're in union with your son. You keep your promises. The Bible often speaks of God remembering Noah, remembering Abraham, remembering his promises to them that his salvation is specifically to his elect. God will never leave us nor forsake us. Oh, what a a gospel truth that is, how it brings well-being to our souls, peace and comfort. God will never leave us nor forsake us. Just like verse 55 says, as, even as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Was God ever unfaithful to Abraham or Isaac or Jacob? Or Joseph or Moses or Miriam? Same covenant of grace you and I have been recipients of. One church, one kingdom. So we find such peace in the gospel that is part of the content of Miriam's song. It is the gospel. It's the gospel wonder. It's the gospel witness. It's the gospel warning that we all ought to give to sinners in this world. And it is that which brings well-being to our souls. God will never leave us nor forsake us. We're told in verse 56, in conclusion, that she had three months to praise God together with with Elizabeth and with Zacharias. You know, isn't it amazing that there's silence about those three months? But you you and I can guess what was going on, can't we? Those three months as they were singing together and weeping together and laughing together and praying together and witnessing together. We don't know exactly how much because our hearts are so full of unbelief. Yeah, really? You're bearing the Messiah? We wonder if Mary was, was only conversing with, with, with Zacharias and Elizabeth about the specifics. And you remember how Elizabeth stayed private for a while because who would have believed that an old woman could bear a child. But both of them, in the privacy of the home there in that Judean city, were praising the Lord. The Bible doesn't tell us whether Mary met John, whether she saw his birth. It says that she stayed three months and then she left. I can be on either side of the answer there. She didn't want to... to uh, be the focus of the attention. And so let the visitors come and rejoice with Zacharias and Elizabeth. Or she might have thought, I have to see the birth of that child. And I have to see if God is going to give Zacharias the ability to speak and to hear again. I have to think, and it's just a guess, that Mary stayed long enough for the birth of John the Baptist. 
But how do we apply this to ourselves? Are we full of praise, thanksgiving? Do we magnify the Lord? Do we point to him whenever any blessing comes or any trial comes that every good gift and every perfect gift, that includes trials, cometh down from above from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. Great is thy faithfulness. She magnifies the Lord. That's the wonder of this huge first chapter of Luke. Just segments of different individuals praising God for his revelation, for his appearance, for his grace in their lives. And the wonder, the blessing of Gabriel, how privileged he felt to be the one to bear the news of the miracle of births of John the Baptist and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you and I as excited as Gabriel must have been to tell the good news of Jesus? He is God manifest in the flesh. Oh, that the Lord would stir our hearts again, revive our, our zeal, no matter what. Let no man steal our joy. May God use us all to point many to the Savior, to the Scriptures. Pray that we might have the joy, the love, the excitement that we find in Zacharias, in Gabriel, in Elizabeth, in Mary, and eventually certainly in Joseph and all the rest that discover that the Messiah has come to save his people from their sins. Please use this brief time, Lord, to stir our hearts, pray that your truth would remain with us. We might meditate upon these things and give ourselves wholly to them. We pray, Lord, that you would increase. And it is right for us to decrease May that be our goal. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us of our pride. Help us to to be humble, to be genuinely humble, to exalt the Lord, to esteem others better than ourselves. Oh God, every day we fight with our pride. Pray that you would give us the humility that we read in these dear saints. And we know they were sinners saved by grace. So are we, Lord, but needing so much more grace. Bless your word. For Jesus' sake, amen. Closing by singing number 97, as with gladness, men of old from our blue hymnals.